This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Most often when shop owners start seeking out marketing options, they're doing it because they perceive they have a car count problem. There are certainly cases where that's true, but there's more to revenue than car count. In fact, there's much more to the success of a shop than revenue. Revenue definitely solves a lot of problems, but let's talk today about some of the ways we can make your shop more successful. Today, our guest is Chris Cotton, owner of AutoFix Auto Repair Shop Coaching, and also host of the weekly Blitz with Chris Cotton, which is also part of Aftermarket Radio Network. But first, let me thank our sponsor, RepairPal, for providing this episode. RepairPal's certified network of shops are trusted by millions of customers each month. Learn more at RepairPal.com forward slash shops. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, Brian? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, doing good. Just sitting here watching a little bit of snowfall, but I think it stopped for the day. It is 80 degrees here in, in Louisiana right now. Sometimes that's great, but you know, it's, let's see, I don't even, it's 43 degrees here right now. So I'm not jealous of your snow. <laughs> right. I know no, most people aren't, but um, the good thing is, is we're going to leave for a couple of days later this weekend to get out of it. So it'll be fine. Well, look, today we are going to be talking about how, you know, car count is often not the problem when someone is looking for marketing for their auto repair shop. And I wanted to bring you on and have you, uh, you know, as a, a guest, because I know that this is something that you talk with your shop owners about a lot. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll just go on and, and dig right in and get started. When a shop owner comes to you and the first thing that they're telling you is that they need to do something better with their marketing, what are your initial thoughts? You know, in the beginning, I want to know what they're doing if they're tracking it. And a lot of people often set out on a path and they say they're going to do something, but then they don't follow, they don't follow the plan. Like when, like I earlier listened to you and Kim's podcast about a marketing plan and making a marketing plan. It's funny. It's like the, the boxing adage. It's all good until somebody gets punched in the face, right? It's, it's cool to have a plan, but if you have a plan and then you don't realize what it's going to cost you or things like that, and then you go in and you just scrap it and then don't follow through on it, then obviously it does no good, right? A lot of the better shops will actually say, you know, I'm looking for a better type of client rather than more clients. But there, there's so many other things that matter when it comes to, to making a successful shop. There's money being left on the table when shop owners are starting to thinking about marketing or taking their marketing even further because there are a lot of other things that they're just not doing that they could be doing much better. A lot of things come back to processes and procedures. Same thing with marketing. If you follow the marketing plan, it'll get you where you want to be. Uh, I had a conversation with a shop owner a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about 2023, what we're going to do different. And, and he was talking about, oh, I want to spend $150,000 on this to add this new service. Or we have a shop next door and I want to move, move these people over to that shop. And I told him, I said, well, let's talk about your average repair order first and how many cars you do a week. And he's a super busy shop in Virginia. They have well over a hundred cars a week and their average repair orders in the high 400s. Well, if we did a better job of what we're doing, our average repair order, even if we just changed it $50 and did a better job of inspecting the customer's cars, preventative maintenance, things like that, recommended services, we could add hundreds of thousands of dollars to our top line and not have to spend $150,000 on, on an added service or another alignment rack or anything like that. And so a lot of shop owners, they just think, if I, and this is, this is the 
shop owner's fault a lot of the time. If I just work harder, it'll be will be more successful or it'll be easier. And one of the things you get into is if you're, if you look at the numbers and profit and things like that, if you're not making any money, working harder is not going to get you out of it, right? Like it's just going to make you more broke or make you feel more frustrated because you're like, okay, I spent more money marketing and I got 30 more cars a week, but I'm not making any money. Yeah. We used to laugh about that in one of the coaching programs that, that I was in where we talk about uh, how, you know, I'm losing a little bit of money on every one of these services that I sell. I just need to sell a whole lot more of them. And, you know, honestly, as a shop operator, I kind of had a similar issue when I had my shop. We did a lot of tires and the tire work was profitable and our actual repair services weren't profitable. If you pulled the tires out of it, our average repair order on just the mechanical side, it was like barely $200 a ticket. And then when I got to look at margins for my shop, I'm embarrassed to say this, but if you catch me in some of my personal classes and stuff, I talk about this. I had one of the worst parts margins ever on the planet. I've only seen a handful of shops with a worse parts margin than me. Our parts margin was like 22% when I first started and somebody double checked me and was looking at it. And by the time we factored everything else into it. And so I'm embarrassed to say, but we were able to fix it, right? So there's, again, if you track and measure things, you can always fix it. We were doing the same thing. We were doing 100 cars a week and we were doing, you know, this is in the 2000s, that first decade, we were doing 1995 oil changes, but we were doing so many of them that everybody was just so busy getting those done that we didn't have time for anything else. And and we were we were our own worst enemy. I see that as a, a very common thing where, you know, people will, they'll want to do something like get more cars in the shop when they, they really have not perfected the the processes and the procedures. And it's, it's crazy because man, marketing is hard. Getting the cars in the shop is hard, but maintaining an average repair order, maintaining profit numbers, that's just something that when you, once you decide to do it, you sort of do it. As an industry, we've never had as many great tools and technology as we have now. Like the DVI platform and following it, you've got texting and and all of those things that really make our people more productive and more efficient than they've ever been. And if you just follow it, it'll lead you to success. But, you know, you, you have to follow it. You have to invest in it. You have to train it. And then you have to, you know, follow your process. So what is the gold standard for you and your clients when it comes to ARO? What are you looking for? So it depends on the client. If you have a general repair shop that does tires and has a good margin and the tires is not a loss leader, then I want your average repair order to be 6x your labor rate. So let's just say it's a it's $100 an hour times 6, your average repair order should be $600. I talk to a lot of shop owners and they're like, well, but we do state inspections and we do oil changes and we do this. I don't care about any of that. I want it to be 600 with all of that included in there. And so... If you're a, a Euro shop or a diesel shop, like you do three quarter tons, half tons, one ton diesels, like not not heavy duty fleet, but F-350s in there, it should be nine X your labor rate. And again, so if you're, please don't anybody say, hey, my labor rate as a Euro shop is $100 an hour. It shouldn't be. We won't, I don't even know that we want to go there or a diesel shop shouldn't be $100 an hour, but we'll use that example. So if you're a Euro shop or a diesel shop, and your labor rate was $100 an hour, you take that and multiply it times nine, your average repair order should be $900. And those are both functions of 
a parts to labor mix and everything like that. And that's probably a whole nother podcast. You know, as we move forward, we're going to sell more time and more labor instead of parts, instead of it being like a one-to-one, it's going to be like a 1.3 to 0.7 or something like that. But that's usually a really pretty quick indicator of, of where somebody's average repair order should be. Yeah. So that shop that you talked about that had that $450 average repair order, in reality, you know, just guessing what a typical shop's labor rate is now, their ARO should probably be double that. Yeah, close to it. So their labor rate was one is one thirty an hour. And so their labor rate should be or their average repair order should be seven eighty. And so one of the other big things that I coach on is average estimate. Average repair order is a function of ad, average estimate, right? So if you're a shop and you're trying to get us eight hundred dollar average repair order, but your average estimate six hundred and twenty dollars, well, guess what? You're never going to get there. You have to track and measure one in order to make sure you're successful with the other one. You know, if you have a, a shop where you're doing a $400 average repair order and you should be doing an $800 average repair order, if you can get your ARO where it needs to be, that's essentially like bringing in twice the cars. Absolutely. And doing, you know, not necessarily half the work, right? But you're you're working smarter, not harder. And the shops that I see with low average repair orders, are they're just reactionary and they're only fixing what's broken because they're on this treadmill of... We have to have more cars and you get to the point to where you have so many cars, you can't do a good job on it. If you want to do a walk around, look up preventative maintenance if you don't have it already and really build a relationship with the customer, which is that's what it's all about on the drop off. Too many times everybody gets in a hurry. They're like, yeah, I've got all your information. Sign this. Get out of here so I can get the next one. And if you slow that process down you'll do better at it. You'll build a better relationship and you'll be able to do the things that you say and you want to do. Because let's face it, if you're not doing a good inspection for your customer, that tells me you don't care about your customer because all you care about is getting that car done and going to the next one. And so when that car, after that car leaves your shop and they're on the way to the airport and blow a timing belt, whose problem is that if they never recommended the timing belt the last four times you were in by mileage or whatever? Yeah, that's your fault. And so the other thing is, is, Uh, We have to remember service advisors, whoever's doing the scheduling, you invite these people to come in and you tell them when to show up. So if you're overrun with people in the morning, you need to look at your process and procedure and think about, okay, why did I have 12 people standing at my counter at eight? Well, it's probably because if you go back and listen to the phone call, it's probably because you said we open at eight and you didn't give them an exact time to be there. And if somebody hears you open at eight, then that's the time they think they were invited to come in. And you have absolutely no time to build that relationship. Yeah. We're just getting into this. And of course, you know, my podcast is the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. And it would sound like I'm trying to talk you out of marketing, but I promise you that's not where I'm going yet. Okay. I'd be interested to see where you're going. You always have some (laughs) really, really great insights. Yeah. You know, we went straight to average repair order. What are some of the other places that a shop would want to optimize to become a more successful shop. Productivity, like as far as even the service advisor's productivity, your technician's productivity, what is the process for ordering parts, who order parts, who is responsible for estimating the ticket? Uh, And it seems to be a big topic here lately, but I, as everybody knows, am not a technical person. I'm the last person you want working on your car. In my shop, the technicians wrote down the parts that they needed And they wrote down their times and then turned that into the service advisors. And then we took it from there and built the estimate, presented it, sold it, and then took it back. And there are a lot of shops that do things that way now 
that seem to be way more productive and the technicians are happier because they're not missing parts and they're getting the time they need versus the shops where the technician just tells them what's wrong with it. Like I can't even wrap my head around this because if a technician came and said, Chris, the flux capacitor is bad and then went on to the next ticket, I'd be like, and you want me to do what with this? Because that means nothing to me at all. It seems like in the 20 groups and the peer groups we have, we have five, six, seven people in the group that are out producing others as technicians. And all of those are doing those things instead of letting the service advisors look, decide what parts they need and things like that. So those can all be big, huge things to make you more productive, um, not have cars left over at the end of the night. The DVI is just amazing. Like when we had our shop, we had paper copy courtesy checks and inspections But what we did is we had a company flip phone. And so the service advisors would go out and do pictures with our old flip phones, like the little Motorola flip phones, and then email that to ourselves. And then we would build emails and send them to customers with those things in them because we didn't have a DVI platform. And I get a lot of shops a lot of times that have, you know, they're using AutoLeap, they're using Shop or they're using TechMetric, but they're not following a process or procedure on how many pictures to do, how many videos to do. Does the service advisor do a video introducing themselves? Does the technician do an an introduction doing themselves? And people are like, Chris, I don't have time for that, but I've kept pretty good track record of it. And every shop that I've ever taken from paper copy or courtesy checker inspection to an actual DVI format or somebody that doesn't have one to a DVI format, the average repair order goes up about $240 a ticket. Just going from one and following a process. That old line about, I don't have time for that. That speaks a lot for itself because the fact that you don't have time for it is telling you that you need to do it because you make more money with less cars. Right. And less cars gives you more time. I don't know. It's just interesting to watch how these things work sometimes. You know, revenue is a funny thing because everybody, they get starry eyed about revenue, but revenue doesn't matter. It's how much of it you keep. Right. That really matters. And uh, a mentor of mine is known for saying that, uh, you know, people will step over $500, 500 times to get to $5,000 once. And, you know, sometimes um, it just doesn't make sense the way that we look at money. So when I say impactful, I really, I guess everything kind of comes down to the bottom line. The bottom line, but I think the impact is really, really owner led. If I'm really thinking about it and trying to come up with a good answer, if the owner's so busy being in the business that they can't stop and make sure that these processes and procedures are being followed, then everybody's in this helter skelter world of whatever. And I did a podcast and wrote a blog post about it. Uh, are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer in the business? And you can, you can be somebody that your mood or your temperature rises and falls and you're throwing stuff and mad or whatever, or you can set your even keel baseline and have everybody relax and come down to your level. And so again, that goes to leadership. I guess the point I'm trying to make is is the owner has to own the fact that it's their business and that the only way it's going to change is if they make a change, but then you have to be actively coaching and watching what's going on in your business so that you can make corrections and hold people accountable. Time to thank our friends at RepairPal for making this episode possible. Don't get left behind. Today's tech-savvy consumers value instant gratification, so they start their searches for a repair shop on their computers and smartphones. These power users research auto repair and service options and decide which shops to engage with in an instant. Gain these customers by being RepairPal certified. 
They provide proof that your prices are fair with their best-in-class estimator. They're the largest site for auto repair, and they will introduce your shop to new customers through RepairPal.com and through the recommendation of partners like USAA, CarMax, and Consumer Reports. As shop owners, we were in the RepairPal certified network, and it helped grow our business. You have to be in it to win it, so head on over to RepairPal.com forward slash shops and set up a call to learn more. When you sign up, you'll get one month of service free and save $150 off certification. That's RepairPal.com forward slash shops. You know, kind of where I was going with the questions where it would sound like I'm trying to talk people out of marketing is this. Would you rather have a marketing company that could bring you another hundred cars a week when you're barely making money on a car or a marketing company that could bring you a hundred cars a week when you have a high average repair order, you have a high profit, you know, high profit margin. And it's important to get those things in place first before you just start trying to dump money at a problem, which is something that many business owners try to do is they just try to dump money at a problem because they don't want to take the time to get their processes and procedures the way they need to be to get the business running like a fine-tuned machine. And, well, marketing can be expensive. If you're not maximizing everything that happens, yeah, as marketers, the only thing that we can do really is get people to your business, and then you have to take over from there. So, you know, the bad phone skills. And- yeah, I was going to say something like that. So marketing's like tattoo, right? Like a tattoo. Like you can get a $200 tattoo or you can get a $2,000 tattoo. But there's a huge difference between those two tattoos, right? I'm glad you talked about the phone skills because, you know, I have a lot of clients that use your format and I go through and listen. And I was listening to one the other day in the phone call. Somebody called up with a car that wasn't running. The service advisor told the customer... It'll be five days before we can get a look at it. Pretty much left it at that. Made them an appointment for five days from now. So what do you think happened when that customer hung up the phone? Well, they called the next shop. They called the next shop. So we've already spent money getting that phone to ring and talking to the customer. And we fumbled it at the very last step. And really what precipitated this was the marketing's really pretty good, but I just need to figure out how to get a couple more cars a week. Well, the answer is you already, you're already getting those phone calls. You just have to pull them in. And so the end goal of all that or the story was, and he sent me a text yesterday saying, hey, we've made a new process and procedure for that. All shop owners have a relationship with a tow company. Like how that should have played out was, hey, thanks for calling in. We can for sure take a look at that. What we need to do is we need to get it up here. I'm going to send the tow truck out and they'll call you to make sure the keys are there and everything like that. They'll bring it back. And as soon as my technicians get a chance, we'll get that in. If not, we have a set appointment for you in a couple of days, but let's get it in and get it here. And you can look at that however you want to. Of course, I want to be in charge of how that car gets delivered because I want to make sure that it shows up. I don't want to have a slot on my calendar on December 7th waiting for this car to get towed in that guess what's not going to get towed in. Now I've got a technician that's sitting with an empty slot that's mad. Now the shop owner's mad. Everybody's mad because, and maybe nobody would ever had a conversation with that guy, but the service advisor for, but I guarantee you he got one now because the minute I forwarded that to the owner, he called me and I was like, oh, I figured, I was wondering how long it was going to take you because I just said, listen to this and and sent it to him. But again, a process and procedure, like, so we spent the money to get the phone call and then fumbled it and didn't get the car. Yep. Happens so often. I'm really, really interested on like your take on this. 
you know, you said a marketing company that would would help you with all these questions and whatnot. And I know you guys track and measure some things, but how do you track and measure your clients' performance and things like that to make sure that they're doing a good job with their marketing? It's much more that we're measuring the performance of what we're doing for them in our case, you know, because we are, we're their marketing partners. So we're just taking it and running with it. And of course we want as much involvement as we can possibly get from them. But for the most part, it's us that's doing the work and it's us that's responsible for getting them the results. And we do that in a host of different ways. It depends on the specific type of marketing that we're doing. For instance, if we're doing search engine optimization, the only thing that we can really control with search engine optimization is you used to rank here for a certain term and now you rank here for a certain term. We have tools that they track that ranking from a specific geographic area and then we're able to see how we've made an improvement on that. If you look at something like uh, digital ads, be it Google or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, in a perfect world, especially when it comes to Google, we want those ads to turn into actual phone calls or form fills on the websites. So we'll use tracking numbers. And you kind of alluded to this when you were talking about your client that you were just listening in on. Uh, but we use tracking numbers where it records the phone call. So we're able to determine things like, number one, how many phone calls did we get them? Number two, were they relevant clients? Uh, because we have had problems in the past where something with, you know, maybe the verbiage that was used in the ad or a tracking phone number that wasn't scrubbed well or something like that, you start getting phone calls that are not relevant to your business. So we're able to, to listen in on those calls and determine, are they opportunities? And then finally, uh, the other thing that we look at with that is, does the shop have good phone skills? Because we, we have had to uh, talk to shop owners before about either poor phone skills or phone's not getting answered at all, which happens more than you would, than you would think it does. One thing I hate is I go through and listen to phone calls and it takes like 45 seconds to get to an actual person. It drives me nuts. Like for me, I'm extremely impatient and I'm ready to go to the next one. If I called you and had to wait a minute to talk to a real person, I've probably hung up and gone on to something else. You know, one of the most impactful things we've ever done for for a client was to talk them out of using their automated, you know, the dial one for this person or dial two for this person. They had their main phone line going right into a automatic operator and people were just dropping off and we could hear that because as soon as that oper- the, the automated, the robot basically picks up the phone, you're able to start hearing the call and you just hear them drop off like crazy. People don't like that. They expect a human being to answer the phone. There have been multiple situations where we've, we've gotten people away from that, but there was one of them in particular where we had to fight and fight with them. And when they did it, it didn't take very, because we were only running the ads to a live person. They left their main line like that. We talked them into running the ads to a person's cell phone and the conversions that they started getting caused them to say, we're getting rid of this entire automated system throughout our business. People don't want to talk to a robot. As soon as that robot answers, you know, the thought that goes through your head. Yeah. Who am I going to talk to? Are they even going to be in this country? Anything else like that? It's going to, it goes on and on. I had a situation recently where I needed tires for a van and went in person, talked to them, ordered them, I thought, and was waiting for somebody to call me to tell me they're in or not. And I didn't hear anything. It took me like when I'm in working, I'm in my office and I don't have time to go to town. Nobody ever called me. And then I called that location several times daily and couldn't get a hold of anybody. No real people at all. 
and again, so I'm forced to drive back downtown because of what their process and procedure that's not working to their benefit. But they're probably trying to throw marketing dollars at that to get more cars. I'm sure. And driving phone calls and everything else when they just need to answer them and take care of them. And then so that takes into something, you know, completely different and we don't have to go into it. But I've got several shops now that have like a remote answering service that's live that answers, you know, on the first or second ring through either a remote person working for them. And it's way better than the phone call recordings. One thing I did want to quiz you on, though, as we're talking about this, and it may be relevant, it may be not, but it's a it's kind of a burr in my saddle, is there are some marketing companies that take credit for everything. No, I know exactly what you mean. And if you're listening to this and you want to know what we're talking about, just go to the homepage of your website and look at the phone number and see is the phone number that's displaying there actually your real phone number. Because what some of these companies are doing is they're putting tracking phone numbers, they're hard coding them into the website. This means somebody did not come through an ad or anything like that to get there and it switched the number, which is what we do. You know, you go from from one of our ads to a client's website, it, it's called dynamic number insertion. It, it switches the phone number that displays, but they're hard coding the tracking number in there. You know, if one of your clients refers you and the person that they referred goes and they do a Google search for Acme Automotive and they come to your website, your website's got a tracking phone number on it that now that person calls and the marketing company is like, oh, look, we got you some business. But that's not what happened. What happened was that the referral sent someone to you who then Googled your website. They would have found your, your phone number no matter what. That was not something that should be attributed to the marketing company, you know, their success at getting you new businesses or new business. And you really have to watch out for that. So like I said, you just go to the homepage of your website, like actually type in the web address and go to it. Don't Google your name and click on one of your ads. I mean, I know that would be ridiculous to do that, but if you click on the ad, you should have a tracking number that displays. If you just go directly to your website, you should not have a tracking number on the website. It should be your real phone number. There really is a lot of smoke and mirrors when it comes to, to marketing. So you've got to be careful with you know who it is that you're working with. And also getting into the stuff that is not like the most common traditional day-to-day types of marketing that you would think of like your website, your SEO, your Google ads, doing some brand recognition ads on Facebook, doing your social media marketing, sending emails, sending direct mail pieces. Those are all proven foundational marketing techniques that when they're done well, they work, period. But when you get into the other stuff, you know, somebody has a local website that they want to sell you a banner ad on, it's probably not going to work. You know, somebody that has the the tube mailer that I talk about all the time in our podcast, it's probably not going to work. And if it does, it's absolutely going to bring you the wrong type of client. I hate to say this, but, you know, even things like geofencing, geotargeting, uh, real-time bidding. I spent my own money trying to market my own business that way. And same thing, the professionals that do geofencing were showing me reports, showing me all of the leads that they got me. It's like, oh, that's nice. Where are they? Right. Yeah. Because I don't have any of that. Yeah. It's the shiny objects that people tend to look at and say, oh, they like the way it works because it's cool. And it is. Geofencing, real-time bidding, the way that those things work really is cool. But let me choose any day of the week between spending my money there or spending my money on some well-done Google ads. 
there's a lot of places that don't do them well. It's the same reason their template websites don't work well, right? It's because they just copy and paste and run the same Google ads. So if you have if you have a marketing company, say in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and they have 40 websites in Dallas Fort Worth, and then that company is doing Google ads for each of those websites. I saw it early on and saw the trends like why are our, why is our ad spend going up and it's not getting you know we're not getting anything else it's just because you're competing against yourself and your your lookalike ads if you're going to do anything do it well get into it and go track it measure it I don't know what year Google Ads officially started like or AdWords or whatever when I had my shop I had and this is probably been 15 16 years ago we had a snow day and I went in to answer the phones. And while I was there, I was like, Hey, I'm going to put some content on Facebook and do some other stuff. And back then we weren't doing any videos on Facebook. It was just, it was just like posts and things like that. And you could do a search for our shop. And we ranked first just off of Facebook, off the content from Facebook. And then later on we had another snow day and I, did my first very first website for the shop and came up and wrote all the content over two days and everything like that. And I think at the same time, AdWords was starting or just getting started and some people got into it. But I myself went and got AdWords certified. But all that stuff changes so much and so often that unless you're like an expert in Google Ads, there's no way you can keep up. And that's why I tell shop owners all the time, if you want to do it and do it well, you need to hire somebody else that can watch it and do it. The most common reason that an ad set does not work well, there's not enough budget. That's one of the things that I see uh, some of the other marketing companies doing. And look, we did it ourselves in the beginning. You'll have a marketing company, they sell you a website and they're like, oh, well, we can do your Google ads too. When it comes time to do a budget, they'll suggest something like $150 a month. If you think about what Google is selling, they're selling digital real estate. They have essentially four spots to sell. When it comes to Google AdWords, because nobody cares about the ones at the bottom of page one and nobody cares about the ones anywhere on page two or or after. If you're going to have a Google ad, you need to display somewhere on the top of page one. And there's four spots for them to sell you. If you're in a very, a very rural location, then you can probably get away with a small budget. But if you're in a very rural location, you probably also don't need to be doing Google ads because people are driving by your shop every single day and they probably know your family and them. But when you have that shop that is in a mid-size market or a large market and there's only four spots for them to sell and you got one shop that's willing to spend $3,000 a month and another shop that's willing to spend $150 a month and there's 10 shops that are competing for those spots, which one do you think Google is going to prefer? Which one do you think they want their ads to work as well for? We won't even talk to a shop anymore about doing Google ads if they don't have a thousand dollar a month budget, like the ad budget just for the ads. Yeah. Like we're not making money off of your, your ad budget. There are some companies out there that charge a percent of ad spend. And in their case, they want you to spend as much as possible. In our case, we charge you a flat fee and it doesn't matter to me if you spend a thousand dollars a month or a million dollars a month, I don't make any more money off of it. When it comes down to it, the businesses that win when it comes to Google ads are the ones who are willing to spend the most money. And a lot of people will hear me say that or they'll look at that and be like, well, I can only afford to spend so much. But in theory, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, if you have your business systems right, when you answer the phone, you're converting those people into clients. If when you convert them into clients, 
you're inspecting the car and writing a large estimate, and then you're selling it and you're selling it profitably, then you should be willing to spend as much as you possibly can to bring in more and more cars. Obviously, you only have so many bays and so many technicians. So you want to maximize what it is that you have going on. Like, don't ever look at Google AdWords and, and think to yourself, oh, well, I'm going to spend $150. Or I'm going to spend $300 a month on that. If you're in a small market, at least commit to $1,000 a month on the budget. And if you're in a mid-sized market, man, be willing to spend three, five. I know of a shop right now spending $12,000 a month on Google Ads and making a killing off of it. You know, don't be afraid to spend that money. You know, what do marketers like to ask people? If every time you hand me a dollar, I hand you 10 back, how many dollars would you give me? I'd hand you as many of those 10 you gave me back as fast as possible. Yep. Well, and that's the good thing I like about Google Ads is because you can see that. And if you started with a $1,000 budget, you can stair step it up once you get into success. And a good, if some of you are out there thinking about what's a good conversion rate for, and what I try to coach is 20% or better. If I can turn 20% of my phone calls or better into appointments, then I think that's pretty good conversion. I don't know what you guys think or, or whatever. And, but I do know that less than 20 is not very good. Yeah. I like to see a little more than that, but you know, 20%, you're still making money. Again, it's, it's about tracking and measuring everything. If you track those phone calls and you know, the customers that came in and the average repair orders, and then you're like, okay, I spent a thousand that month and I'm going to spend 1500 this month. And then you see the budget go up, but you also see your car count off of those go up. Then it's really, I think it's probably one of the only marketing advertising platforms that you can actually see work so well in, you know, real time as you're going. One of the things that I coaches and everybody used to talk about, because for all you young pups out there that weren't around in the, in the, in that, the very end of that first decade of the 2000s, like if you didn't have a shop in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, go back and run one of those and see see your processes and procedures and how things are versus what you're doing now, stacking all this cash and everything, because those were tough times. Well, it's, it's funny us, you know, quote, old guys, we like to talk about those days where we didn't have available to us what you've got now, like, I mean, the shop management systems, these cloud-based shop management systems that are amazing, the DVI, the marketing opportunities that if you're willing to do it yourself, things like YouTube, Facebook, you know, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, that are free. Uh, or, you know, if you're wanting to run your own ads where you have the ability to get in, in front of such a large audience, we didn't have that. Marketing was completely different then. Just shop operations was completely different then. And this wasn't long ago at all. I was just recording an episode where I was talking about creating your own economy because people are pretty scared about what could be happening in 2023. And I had a shop in 2007, 2008. And it doesn't sound like that long ago, but it actually was 14 years ago now to go back to 2008. But the shop owners that have been 2009 until now, they've experienced nothing but good times, even through the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Like the shops and the pandemic just cruised. Like I was in the first couple of months, I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to go back to the way it was. But, you know, there were times during the housing bubble, everything else, where we would go in, we would be busy, but like you could spend $10,000 a month on things and it didn't work. You know, I've got shops now that if they're like, Uh, I've got like two spots open on Friday, which means that they've got 
15 spots already taken. They're just trying trying to figure out how to round out these last two spots. And if they go on Wednesday, they can send out a text blast to all their customers and say, hey, we've got two open spots on Friday and we're going to let the first, you know, however many people, the first two people have those spots. They can fill those spots in like 12 minutes. Like they can go into their computer, they can hit that, send that text out and people will immediately reply to that text. I'll take it. I'll take it. I mean, I think it's great. One of the things with younger generations is they get frustrated easily and lose patience. And those are two things that you're going to have to have under control probably next year. To go back to car count, because we've kind of been, this is what happens when I get involved as we go all different <laughs> places. But I'm just as bad as you. We probably need Carm here with us to keep both of us in line. But so coaching back then, like I first started coaching in 2012 and we were even in 2012, we were like coming out of that where car count was an issue. And we were coaching like guerrilla tactics for marketing and and going where you needed to go and doing the things you needed to do to get car count. When we did marketing calendars in the old days, we did marketing calendars to always add cars because we were always short on cars. And so I've made it a conscious effort to talk about making you sure you have the car count for success, whatever that means to your shop. I don't like it when people compare their shops to other shops because we're all, this is one industry where we're all completely different. Like we don't have the same rent cost. Typically, we don't have the same labor cost. It might be similar, but really each shops individually has its own cosmos or ecosystem or whatever. And so you really have to think about what your marketing plan is to make you successful. Is it more cars? Is it less cars? If you have a shop that niches down, like car counts, not an issue, but they're a Euro shop or they're some other shop and they want to get to, you know, I have a Euro shop that their average repair order is $2,000 a car on the East Coast. Again, car count for success, what that looks like. And then how do you niche? If somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm successful, but I want to be more successful in this one area or whatever, how would you do that? So the first thing that we would do would be to start modifying their messaging to really speak to the niche. You know, and that could be just changing up their website because one of the things that we don't want to do is go in and say, okay, well, I was a Mercedes tech, my shop, my background was Mercedes. So I always use that example. My listeners are going to get tired of it before it's over with, but that's okay. You know, so let's say that you are a Euro shop. You know that you're most profitable on Mercedes and BMW. You have the most tools for Mercedes and BMW. Your techs are most familiar with Mercedes and BMW. So it just makes sense. So let's niche down from being all Euro to doing nothing but Mercedes and BMW. So you don't want to just like go turn off the faucet on all of the other cars overnight and say, we don't work on those anymore because that's going to cause cash flow problems in the business. So what you want to do is you want to do, you want to start driving your message towards this is what we do. And what you'll, what will happen is over time, more of those people will become clients and the ones who are driving the sobs and the Maseratis and stuff that you really don't want to work on anyway, they're just going to stop. They're going to stop finding you when they're doing Google searches. They're going to stop getting recommendations because you don't have as many people that have those types of cars. And it really does just come down to shifting the messaging. And this has to do a lot with messaging also, but the type of content that you create. Again, going back to that whole thing about we live in the world now of YouTube and social media. And if you're not creating content, you're just missing the boat. Well, if the content that you're creating is all about the niche that you are wanting to 
to push down into, then that's the type of business that you're going to attract. So it's not real difficult to uh, to drive home a niche and pick up more of that type of business. You have Euro shops that want to get into general repair and general repair that want to get into the Euro business. And so we have a mutual client in Missouri who has a, a great shop. They have like three technicians, two service advisors. They do like 150K a month and they just margins are, I mean, they just run a great shop, but they turned over a technician and their new technician loves to work on BMW. So we were in a 20 group meeting and one of his questions to the group was, hey, should I start feeding this technician some BMW work and whatever? And everybody said, no, heck no, leave him a general repair technician. Don't don't buy the extra tools or anything else. This same guy came to the owner this last week and was like, man, I don't feel like I work enough here. And they went and looked and this guy turns 60 hours a week. And he's like, well, I'm used to turning 80 hours a week. That's your typical Euro tech. And so we're like, okay, we need to figure out how to get this guy another 20 hours a week, which is not, it's not going to be hard for us now that we've identified that we can get it. But it's kind of funny. You know, what's it? All actors, all actors want to be singers and all singers want to be actors or something like that. You listen to what you just said, though. You got a guy that's turning 60 hours a week that is used to turning 80 hours a week. And that same shop, the generalist techs are turning what? 35, 45 for a great one. They're doing good. They're both their other techs are turning over 50 a week. That shop is, it's a four bay shop with three techs, two service advisors, and they are getting it every day. That's great hours for a generalist tech. Yeah. And he's at the top, like even including, so he's, there's only three general repair shops in that 20 group and the rest are all Euro shops. And he's consistently in the top productivity numbers, even with, with the Euro guys in there. He's really leaned into the lean process and like he counts steps from how far people goes to see and they've really worked on that in that shop. Yeah. He's a businessman. Yeah. Well, he's working on his business, not in it. Everybody's kind of had the, ch- the opportunity to listen to us kind of banter today. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to make heads or tails out of this. Yeah. You know, we talked about a whole lot of things, but I do think that we drove home the point that when it comes to to marketing, Sometimes it's not actually the marketing that you need to be focusing on. Sometimes it's about getting your processes and your procedures and everything right. So that when you do go all in on marketing, you're seeing the best return that you possibly can from it. So, yeah, I appreciate, uh, you know, being able to have the conversation today. How can people find you if they want to talk to you? So the best way is just email me, Chris at autofixsos.com. So it's C-H-R-A-S at A-U-T-O-F-I-X-S-O-S.com. You can also go to the website, autoshopcoaching.com or my cell phone number is 580-491-3519. I'm always up for listening to a shop owner, helping them out with the issue. Like I'll stop and spend 30 minutes with anybody. I don't want anybody to be in this industry and not, Um, achieving their dreams and getting where they want to get. Awesome. Well, you kind of got a a twofer today to be able to hear both the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast and the Weekly Blitz with Chris Cotton. They are both podcasts on the Aftermarket Radio Network, which there are some other great podcasts that you should listen to. So if you go to aftermarketradionetwork.com, you can access all of those podcasts and be able to listen to some really good information from the standpoint of a marketer, a coach, a financial guy, and a technician. So there's some really great information there. Some really great stuff, yeah. Yep. so thanks for listening again today, and we will have you back with us next week. Thank you, Brian. Have a great day. 
You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket.